We're just going to jump right into it. Gents. Let's get into it. Let's do it. What's going on, everybody? My name is Sean. I'm your host. This is Kirk, your co-host. Jeremy, permanent guest. We're the Rando Podcast Crew, where we talk about random topics with random folks. Indeed. Yeah. Y'all are some random folks. We're not random at all. We're your neighbors. No, the people we're talking to. Yeah, and about. Yeah. And, and you guys. And I think let's let's um be specific on what we mean by random. Like we don't spit um specifically talk about politics or sports or fitness or we, cat wrangling. It's or, just or or horse racing. Right. Which there is a horse race podcast out there. There is. I just learned about it. It's awesome. It's not I can't, bad. Can't remember the name. Sorry, George. <laughs> I love you. But you I told just, me and I forgot. I, I think it's I'm sorry, bro. It was a cool. It was actually a really cool name. And it is one of the best horse racing podcasts that's on the market. So I'm pretty sure if you just Google that, we'll throw it out on Instagram. We'll later. throw it out on Instagram. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, my daughter told me the other day I have the memory of a small child. I thought children had good memories, but to her they don't. So yeah, I mean, old man memory. I forgot old so, man memory. You are old. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. Oh yeah. So today's is a very special day, and one, we want to say thank you for joining us. If you, we, we did a live Facebook message on Monday, on Memorial Day, and uh, make sure you go to Facebook, The Randall Podcast, and just check it out and check out that message. But we want to make sure that everybody understands the importance of Memorial Day and the weekend that comes with it. So today, it's our honor, I think it's 100% our honor, where we get to talk about just a few guys who have risked the ultimate sacrificing by giving up their lives, by putting themselves out in danger and, and giving us the freedoms that we have today. So um, I'm super excited about who we're going to talk with. Absolutely. And Jer- Jeremy and, and Kirk. Kirk's story, we're going to save his for last just because he's got someone very special he's going to talk about. But Jeremy, I think who you want to talk about is actually pretty well known in the fitness industry. I agreed. I think, well, there's a lot of people that know, uh, if you've ever, a lot of CrossFit people, a lot of other people have heard of the Murph challenge. It's something, something a lot of Murph. people, Murph, something a lot of people heard of. If you don't know what the workout is, it's a one mile run, hundred pull-ups, 200 pushups, 300 air squats, and then another mile run. And that's, that's the workout. It's, hor- uh, it's horrible. It's a horrible yeah. workout. It is. But it's, uh, it's what the in CrossFit they call a hero workout, and it's meant it's meant to set it's meant to put in the perspective of you're you're putting yourself in a pain because you'll never be able to put yourself in the situation that these guys have done, but you're showing them that basically a respect, right? And you're, but I want to talk a little bit about him. So I got got my got my phone here. Get your notes. Got my notes. I'm just gonna read a little bit about him. Uh, first of all, his name was. Lieutenant Michael P. Murphy, and referred to by by his friends and family as Murph. That's what they called him. That's where the name what, came from. What uh, website are you getting this from? This is from uh, Navy.mil. Okay. Um, so, uh, born uh, May 7, 1976, uh, in Smithtown, New York. Uh, went to, uh, basically grew up and went to school, and I'm, I'm going to murder this name, and I'm sorry, but it's... Pachoki, New York, on Long Island. I'm sorry. I know I said that wrong. I apologize. You, you probably got it a lot writer than I would have. A lot writer. Writer. Yeah. Uh, he graduated. Ed, uh, Kirk is edumacated. He's edumacated. Alabama education. Um, went to high. Uh, graduated high school in 1994. Went to Penn State. Graduated Penn State with a, a pair of of Bachelor of Arts degrees in political science and psychology. Uh, after graduating, was offered uh, multiple uh, schools, law schools to go to, but he wanted to go a different way. Wanted to go into uh, becoming a SEAL, uh, and so basically, he went through went through Buds, uh, graduated Buds, went through uh, the next qualifying, which was the Army Jump School, SEAL qualifying training, and SEAL Delivery Vehicle School. Went through all that, started his military service. I believe in October of 2002 is when he started his service. Um, he was assigned to uh, SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 1 as an assistant officer in charge of an Alpha Platoon in 2005. Um, so then, and that was uh, 
early 2005. Uh, and then on June 28th of 2005, Lieutenant Murphy was the officer in charge of a four-man SEAL team uh, in support of Operation Red Wing. They were tasked in finding a... They were, they, they were put behind enemy lines and were tasked with trying to find a local Taliban leader. They were on a reconnaissance mission. Wasn't well, They weren't supposed to be there to fight. They were just there to see if someone was there. Uh, during this, they were they were spotted by three uh, sheep farmers, which they were captured and later released. Uh, and it was believed that the sheep farmers went in, told the Taliban they were there. So this uh, this action proceeded to have about whether they're, they're claiming about 30 to 40 insurgents tactically went in after the four four man team hit them on three different sides uh, got them on a backed up on a ridge so they had a ridge up behind them and they were getting attacked on all three sides um uh so they basically did what they could they jumped basically jumped down a 20 foot ledge everyone got hurt uh at this point um in the firefight, uh, two out of three guys have been shot. Every almost everybody had uh, shell fragment damage in some way, their legs and arms. Um, the main um, telecommuni- telecommunications officer was injured, mortally injured. So Michael Murphy took it upon himself, knowing that in the terrain that they were in, they weren't going to get a clear signal. They couldn't get uh, couldn't get a signal out. So he stepped out into clear view of the enemy so he could get a better better signal out to call for a rescue team to come get them out. So he's being he was being tasked with or given the honors of saying like he gave up his life so he could go out in the middle of clear sight, being bombarded by enemy fire just to get a signal out to get his guys out. And uh, during they said during his uh while he was on the radio, he was actually shot in the back, dropped the, dropped the mic, picked back up the mic, turned around, continued to fire while still giving clear and precise information to the other men on the line to tell them where they were. Um, uh, later on, he got back. They ended up uh, still fighting. Um, and if you don't know the story, the three out of the four did not make it. Um, they also had a Chinook come in with 16 other men that got hit with a um, rocket, rocket, rocket propelled grenade that took out the Chinook and also killed the 16 men coming in to help them. Um, there was only one survivor who, when he got out, was um, uh, I believe his name is Marcus Luttrell. He made it to a. Uh, um, a, f- a village nearby, and the villagers actually saved him multiple times because they wouldn't let the Taliban take him. And then finally, the U.S. got the whereabouts where he was, got him out. But uh, Lieutenant Murphy was given this multiple commendations for his actions, for what he did for his guys in that in that time. So, so like again, like I said, the Murph challenge. It's there's no way you could be able to to put yourself in that kind of situation where he was in, but it's a way to show, show your gratitude for that kind of dedication to those people. You know, what I want to point out is, um, that's a phenomenal story. How, how do you think, what do you think goes through someone's mind? Obviously he, you know, he went to Penn state, um, already, you know, super intelligent, probably had a path, a path of success already laid out for him. What do you think happens to someone when they say, I want to go do the one of the hardest jobs in the U.S. military? I mean, what, what do you think drives that? Where does that come from? It's, it's definitely, it definitely comes from somewhere that a lot of people don't have because that's, like you said, one of the hardest jobs I've ever, I mean, there's more people that fail out of buds than make it. From, well, from what and, I've read. And I think you have to have a deep love for your country. You have to have a reason for wanting to do that. You know, not just anybody's going to want to step out there and, and give their life 
or uh, just because they're in the military. I mean, most most that would do something like that are doing it because one, they love the people around them, but they love their country, right? So I think that that's part of the driving factor. I mean, that's a deep, that's a deep, deep love. That's a super humble. Um, I don't, I don't even think humble is the right word. It's um, to to be able to give your life up for a bigger cause. Where you know it's the fantasy thought where we all think we have that we all think that way. I think it's it's natural to say, "Hey, I believe in this," but to really live it. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Right before we do Murph, we're like, "All right, man, I'm gonna kill this thing." Right in my head, prior, I'm living that I'm gonna crush it. What happens about ten out of ten times is it crushes me. Mm-hmm. Like this morning when we did it, the second run, that last mile. I was done. My arms were were jacked from all the pull-ups. My legs, I hate squats, right? Mm-hmm. And here, but throughout the workout, I'm thinking, Sean, this is nothing compared to what Lieutenant Murphy did. Absolutely. This is nothing. All you can do, I mean, you can at least put forth a little effort. So I think hearing stories like that is pretty, is pretty awesome. It's, it's, it's phenomenal to, to think about what people can go through and what their people can do drive themselves to do in in those kind of situations. It's it's pretty crazy to think of. Yeah. So I mean you look at uh what was the the flight number that for September eleventh that went down the field. Um and I just watched oh. it the other day. Um but that that the movie about that aircraft and what those people did. The one in Pennsylvania? Yeah. The one that went yeah. down uh, eighty flight eighty something. Ninety three flight ninety three. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Again, my old memory. But that what those people did, we don't know what we would have done in that same situation. But I think when when times get tough and we have it's at flight or fight, I think a lot of us have more in us than we think we do. Now we not we may not be as amazing as, as some of these Medal of Honor winners and, and those that have given their lives uh, on the battlefield. Uh, we may not be able to think like they do in that type of situation, but Sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to to protect yourself and the other people around you, and and I think that's what he was doing. He was protecting his brothers Absolutely. around him on that battlefield. And I think Absolutely. When you're when you're in that situation, I would hope. I mean, because the amount of training that those guys go through, it all all it's pretty much second nature. It's almost like breathing, where you don't even think about it. That's the only way he knew how to react. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness for his training, and thank goodness for the the courage that he had, and 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 honestly, the courage that his his other Navy SEALs had in him right. to trust that he's going to get out there and do what he needs to do. Absolutely, and those on the on that battlefield with him, I trust probably they had just as much courage, just as much capability of doing what he did. But he's the one that stepped into that position, mm-hmm. um, likely because. He was there, and he made that decision before somebody else did. I guarantee you every, any one of them out there would have made that same decision. Um, and uh, it's, it's amazing what he did and what that team did. So, Yeah, every, every year that I, I, do, I do the Murph workout, it, it kicks my butt every single time. And, and I think it's just important to put yourself, to, to put yourself into such un, uncomfortable situations. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to grow, if you ever want to kind of somewhat experience – I think pain is growth, right? Pain pain is growth. Pain also creates, um, it creates insight. And whether you know his story or not, go out there. I challenge, I challenge you to, to go out, Google Lieutenant Murphy, Google his story. If you don't know his story, you need to know his story and go out and do the workout, do the Murph. Do that hero wad. It doesn't matter if you did it today or if you do it next week or in three months. When you say wad, what do you mean by wad? Uh, excuse me, the workout of the day. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah a little CrossFit terminology for you. <laughs> and uh, um, Jeremy, thank great, great idea to bring up Murph um, in this in, in this Memorial Day weekend. That's awesome. Absolutely. And I'd like to point out the fact that Sean woke me up at nine o'clock this morning and said, "Hey, you want to do the Murph?" And after I got my composure and and uh, and and got the courage. I said, "All right, I'll be down there in a little bit." So. Well, I said uh, it was a group text, and I was like, "Hey, man, uh, Murph, nine ish." 
and this was like eight something. He fifty five or something yeah. like that. Yeah, nine ish, and he's like nine thirty. <laughs> like, all right, let's do it. Oh, and and, and then we recruited uh, CJ across the street, so he came over. He did it with us too, and I'm he was out that. there struggling with his. Well, what was he doing? He was work, trying to get his, uh, his pressure, pressure his pressure washer Freaks. going, and he's just getting his butt kicked. And I go, "Hey, man, you want to do the Murphy?" He's like, "Yeah, all right, I'll do it." Like, we're gonna get your butt kicked. Get, but get, get. <laughs> well, I think the pressure washer was kicking his butt because he just, I think he was flooding it. He was doing all sorts of things. That thing. Yep. It yeah. happens. But it was a, it was a good workout. Um, that and you're right. That last mile was painful, and it took me about an hour after I got home to uh, for the the sore muscles to relax, so I could actually even sit without. Squirming my, my shoulder blades. I were took a nap. Me. Yeah, but you did. I felt I had two I, I BLTs and some sweet potato fries, and then I passed out for like forty five minutes. That sounds like a delicious after workout snack. It was so good. Yeah. It was, was amazing. Good. It made my belly feel good. <laughs> That's what's important, Sean. It's about making Absol- your belly feel good. Absolutely. All right. Well, so, Sean, who do you, who do you have for us today? Okay, very cool. Um, my story is not nearly as long. And for those of you that have never heard of the, the Tuskegee Airmen, this is off of history.com. So I'm going to give you a, a little background on, on who these airmen are. So the Air Force uh, established 1947. We used to be a part of the Army Air Corps. And so back in, I think it was war, uh, I don't want to get my. World War II. Yeah. It was 1940s. During, yeah, back when segregation in the armed forces, 20s and 30s. Uh, so anyway, a uh, little history. This is off of history.com. The Tuskegee Airmen were the first black military aviators in the U.S. Army Air Corps of the U.S. Air Force. Uh, pr- uh, pr- uh, big word. <laughs> nah, no worries. Uh, trained at the Tuskegee Air. Pre- and he says I'm educated. Precursor. Precursor. <laughs> uh, it just looked weird. Precursor of the U.S. Air Force, yeah. Trained at the Tuskegee uh, Army Airfield in Alabama, where they flew more than 15,000 individual sorties in Europe and North Africa during World War II. Their impressive performance earned them more than 150 distinguished flying crosses and helped encourage and eventually integration, integration of the U.S. Armed Forces. Obviously, the Tuskegee Airmen... I mean, the what's the movie Red Tails? They, Red Tails. they they've had a they have a reputation, and from what I remember is, and I can't speak on, and without going down that road of of racism and 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 what it's done, obviously it's it's torn our country apart. But I think this unit in history, it actually brought America together. It it showed the value of a, of the human being. It showed the value of the heartbeat. The it shows the value of dedication to their country. And yes, they, they were fighting for a country that looked down on them at that, at, during that current time, but they also became some of the best pilots in the United States air force. And, mm-hmm. and they did some remarkable things and they saved a ton of lives. So this past weekend, so NASCAR, they do a phenomenal job every single year on Memorial day weekend. They honor a fallen, um, service th- member. Yeah. Service member. Each, each one of the teams. Each each team and what they do and how they honor them is they put the name of the fallen service member on the car, on the windshield, normally where the where the driver's name goes. So this year, uh, Richard Petty Motorsports, driver is Bubba Wallace, um, one of the only, actually the only African-American driver in NASCAR today. He honored, and I want to make sure I get his name right, Captain Dixon. And Captain Dixon, what's, what's really cool about Captain Dixon is... They found his body in 2017, July 2017, after 77 years of going missing. Wow. Mm-hmm. So he was out on a sortie with some other pilots, and they were escorting a spy plane. And it was between, I think it was between um, Italy and Austria, uh, about to go over Prague, which was a German-occupied area. And for whatever reason, he, his P-51 started to have um, engine failure, so obviously he turned around try to make it back to base, but for whatever reason, P-51 went down, and then they never saw him again. Fast forward, I think it was about, actually, so that happened back in 1946, um, I think it was, something yeah. like that. All right, uh, 1944. 44, okay. Yep. And then in, ni- in 19, it wasn't It wasn't but a few years later, I, I don't, I don't want to get the dates wrong. A few years later, the Army ended the search and declared him... Killed in action. Yeah, killed in action or whatnot. 
However, there's all these great organizations out there that continue to find. I think there's twenty, still twenty four Tuskegee Airmen that haven't been found. So July two thousand seventeen. I want to make sure that I give credit to where credits due. I'll I'll drop it in the show notes. But this um, this university of the, these college students that actually were in the area where um, Captain went down, and they found a um, a ring that was very important to him, and inside that ring. It had his initials, or excuse me, his wife's initials, and his date of birth. All right, and they were able to to salvage the ring. And when they went to go tell his daughter, who's now in her seventies, right, that they found they, they presented the ring with her to let her know that they mm-hmm. found his body, and they were able to bring him back and do a full um, honorary um, fun- burial, yeah, bu- military burial, yeah. right, flyover. Everything. So this past weekend, we were able to interview his his daughter. She was completely humbled. The whole family and Bubba Wallace got to drive on the 43 car with Captain Dixon's name, um, the 600-mile tribute, um, and which was yesterday, which, is, which was awesome. So I got to see the face expression of his daughter. Um, they did some live interviews with... With Bubba and, and the Air Force rep who, who was pushing the story. It was a great story. It was, it was awesome to see that she got to, and, and, and you should see the, the happiness that this brought her, to know that her, her dad is a, is a hero. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know if you caught it, uh, but I, I was on Facebook, and I was on Richard Petty Motorsports Facebook page and they did a live stream talking about it. And one of the things that I was unaware of, and it's kind of hard to find this information, but uh, supposedly when his household goods or his goods got shipped back from overseas to the family, uh, there was a guitar that, that he played that, you know, he adored. They were hoping that would come back with his, his things, but it didn't. So that was really kind of sad for the family that, that that didn't come back. But if you noticed on Bubba Wallace's car, there was actually a guitar on the side of the car, and that was essentially to to provide even more representation for the family and something I think was probably special to them. That's awesome. Yeah, I can only imagine, you know, think think about it. You go your whole life. I mean, put yourself in his daughter's shoes. You go your your entire life. You got to be, I mean, 2017 is, is when they found him, so three three years ago. So she's 74 and then she finds out that they found her father. Yeah. It's got to be pretty surreal. And then to receive those honors and to receive, you know, everything that, I mean, she never even met her dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, I for the families, think about for, for them, you know, I would never want to put my family in that, that situation. Mm-hmm. But that's part of what these service members are, you know, they're essentially signing off to say, hey, this is what I'm, you know, I, I'm going to go do this. And, yep. and uh, so I think it's pretty amazing. Um, and, and, and I'm so glad that they were actually able to find his remains because that's, that's got to mean a lot to the family. You know, you think about what goes on, like in Lieutenant Murphy's head or Captain Dixon, and when they're faced with adversity, even though they're completely different situations. And Lieutenant Murphy, I mean, he was having – I mean, and someone was probably shooting at him constantly, uh, and to still be able to press forward and suppress fire downrange, and then you have Captain Dixon, who, who he wasn't necessarily being fired upon with bullets, but I think he was being fired upon for being who he was through verbal, through through having to prove himself to be worthy to to wear the uniform, mm-hmm. and in both of them have the courage to say, I'm here, I'm going to do what I can do, you're not going to stop me, I love my country. I, I think that's that's pretty admirable. And I think that's what Memorial Day is about. Mm-hmm. No, and, and it is. And it, something you brought up, we've got a lot of, there's some teams out there that, that do a lot of work to go and try to find our missing in action members, whether it be from Vietnam or whether it be from uh, World War II, World War I. Um, something, I just looked at a statistic. At the end of World War II, there were 78,750 missing in action from that movie, or from that movie, from that war. Um, As of May 2020, so essentially this month, um, currently there are still 72,593 missing in action. 
So that's how many families are affected by that. So uh, that's something else we need to remember and we need to think about on days like today. Yeah, that's a town. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of people. Yep. Mm. It's a ton. So uh, I think it's kind of very humbling to think about that. Um, so, absolutely, yeah. And and not trying to to bring us down. These guys, these men and women who went and fought, um, gave their their lives for service. Um, they did it so we can sit here today and have these conversations. So we can go out and barbecue and hit the river, hit the lake. Um, we've been blessed, and we are blessed. And and I hope everybody thinks about it that way. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with with having an awesome time on the weekend. And I think all it takes is to give five or ten minutes of solitude or, or to be quiet, or you don't even have to be quiet. You do a tough workout. Put yourself in a situation that you typically don't do mm-hmm. and just think about them. Think about their families. And if you don't know, I, I, you may not know anyone that's lost, that's lost a service person. You right. may not. But you can think about what you have in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, Sean. Um, and, you know, I've had in the last couple of weeks, I've had uh, quite a few or a couple of experiences um, did, talking to family members of, of that had lost uh, family members in previous wars, Vietnam. And, you know, it's, it's really humbling to hear their stories and um, – the great part is every single one of them that I've spoken to, they realize just how amazing, you know, what their family member did, and they appreciate the fact that they were part of the story. They were part of, you know, what made America great, has made America great. Of course, they, you know, they miss them, but but they understand that that's, that's what was meant to happen, you know. So, um, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. Did you have anything to add on that one? No, I, I I think it's important if research these people that we're talking about, Captain Dixon and um, awesome story, Lieutenant Murphy, awesome story. Um, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's hundreds and thousands of people who risked their lives and that paid that sacrifice. So, and I want to make sure that all families or everyone that's lost a loved one, any serviceman that, that you know you're loved and you're prayed for and, and, um, I hope today that you're you were able to enjoy Memorial Day weekend and you were able to to spend time with your family and and uh, and and if you didn't, I hope you're able to spend time with your family also and and show grace and gratitude. Yep. Um, and and don't I don't I think that's one of the things that sometimes we want to feel bad about it, but uh, we, we like I said earlier, you know, this is they did these they gave their lives they fought for our ability to to be able to have that freedom. And I guarantee you if we sat at home crying, they probably wouldn't like it. Like hey. Go out and celebrate. And I promise you, they didn't feel bad being downrange. You know, they yeah, they missed their family. Mm-hmm. But they didn't feel bad that they left their family, right? They missed their family. They missed right. their loved one. They missed their country, but they didn't feel bad. They had a mission. They had a mission, and that's what they were there to do. And I think that's where a lot of people forget, and not just servicemen, but firefighters and police officers and first respond any first responder where – there's there's something in our hearts or in our heads that says, hey, this is where I need to be. I don't feel bad because this is higher than me. This is more than me. This is more than my family. This is more than the cold beer on the weekend, right? It's more than that. Mm-hmm. And in the in the few times that I've deployed, and which obviously scared the bejeebers out of my mom, I I, I love her, but I didn't feel bad that I was going. Mm-hmm. I knew that that's where I needed to be at that time. And luckily, I was never in combat situations. However, I could hear combat going outside the gate. Yeah. That's how. That's the closest I was able to it. Could have I could taken hear. one split second, anything could have happened, and you could have found yourself in the middle of it. Yep. I could hear it. Thank goodness I wasn't out there. Yeah. So, but no, phenomenal stories. Kirk, let's, let's, um, yeah. let's talk. Let's get to your story. Okay. Yeah, so the person I chose, and there's there's several that I could have uh, went with, but this one this one dates back to my childhood. Um, this uh, gentleman, he was actually one of our baseball coaches, um, and I know you're thinking, wait, uh, so uh, you know how did he, where did he die? And he actually is on the Vietnam Memorial Wall, which surprises people because they're like, wait, are you that old? 
Kirk? And you're like, no, no, I'm not. Um, so mm. <laughs> I'm not, thank you. Uh, uh, Vietnam was over well before I was born. So, uh, but Danny Joe Wilson, uh, I want to, I want to kind of talk about him. Uh, I remember growing up, uh, playing baseball. He was an amazing coach, amazing coach, but he was, he was limited in his mobility. He had, he had a pretty profound limp. I remember him walking around the the baseball field with his fungo bat as his cane, but then he'd pick up a ball and hit a ball, and then he'd start walking around with that cane again. Um, and he was he was a great great guy. Um, and heard he he did not like ta- talking about his experiences. I know back then we didn't know what it was called, but I'm sure he suffered from from PTSD uh, pretty severely. But um, let me tell you a little bit about him. So he he graduated high school in 1962. And um, soon thereafter, he was, um, I, it doesn't say it here, but I'm pretty sure if I remember the stories he told, he was drafted into the Army. So he was part of the U.S. Army Reception Station, Fort Jackson, and assigned to Company C, 1st Battalion, 1st Brigade, uh, in order to complete his training, then went to California, and then... Let's see, upon a revi- uh, arrival in Vietnam, he was assigned as an ammo bearer with Company D, 1st Battalion, 5th Cavalry Regiment, 1st Cavalry Division. Man, being Air Force, I don't, I, there's so many different regiments and battalions, I get lost. But, um, so that was in 1965 and served with honor. And then on uh, 18 August, 1966, uh, his uh, platoon I don't remember if it was platoon or or his his unit. They were hit by uh, ambush essentially, and and he told some pretty graphic stories about what happened. And I won't go into detail here, but he's pretty sure he went down with a fight, um, and he had a mortar round that artillery round that essentially blew up right underneath him. He woke up and his uh, as he described it, his foot was next to his ear, and he was laying on the battlefield and. Medics came up, and, of course, I think they were surprised he was even alive. Um, I, I don't think there were a lot that survived out of his, his battalion. And uh, they took him, and, and he went to places like Clark Station in Philippines, uh, several places that uh, they took him. He had surgeries. Doctors wanted to amputate his leg, and he wouldn't let them. He said, no, I'm not going to let you amputate my leg. And they said, well, that it could get infected. You could have issues. I don't care. You're not amputating a leg. And uh, so eventually he was uh, retired, medically retired from the Army and, and came back. And, and uh, I knew his, his, uh, his daughter, um, still, still friends with Leanne. We'll, we'll make sure and tag Leanne and his wife, Beth, on Facebook. Um, but uh, I know a lot of us were impacted by him. Um, after he passed away, they, were, they proved that he died due to complications from that injury that he received in Vietnam. So they actually have put him on the Vietnam Memorial Wall. And if anybody's interested, he's on panel 18, Echo Line 109. And uh, I was blessed this time last year. I got to go out there and and actually uh, see his name on the wall, which was pretty amazing. Well, Kirk, that can't be easy to tell. Yeah, I I can tell. You're a little it's, choked up. It's emo- I, I, You tend to get emotional with stuff like that, especially somebody that, that uh, you know, meant a lot to you in your childhood. So, mm. But, yeah, I, I'm blessed to know to have known him. And, uh, you know, things could have been different. You know, he, may, he could have not survived uh, during Vietnam, couldn't have gotten back to his family. But, you know, by the grace of God, he was able to and mm. come back and share some of his story as well. What do you, what do you think's one of the main things you've learned from him? Uh, <laughs> obviously you, you may not have known that story growing up. He, yeah. We, we knew that he was, he was a, uh, had been severely injured in Vietnam. Um, he shared a little bit of his story at a time. He actually came to one of our classes one time and, and told a little bit deeper story than what uh, we had expected from him. But, um, he, I, I tell you the thing that with him was the resilience, you know, he would come out and coach and you could tell, man, he was hurting. He was hurting, but he, he was out there co- coaching us. He was out there trying to make sure that we learned the the very specific, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, um, mechanics. 
like when it came to baseball, we knew mechanics because that was that was what he wanted to do. When he graduated high school, he wanted to become a professional baseball player, but ended up getting drafted to Vietnam. And of course, after that, any kind of college or professional baseball is probably, you know, was out of the right. question for him. Um, so, but I think it was resilience, honestly. Um, but I'm just glad I was able to kind of share his story on, on a day like today because not everybody has been blessed and lucky enough to actually have known someone who who was injured and, and died due to injuries um, on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. Thank you for telling that story. Yeah. Do you, do you still keep in touch with the family or anything? Uh, yeah, his, his uh, daughter has messaged me a couple of times and – um, I was actually supposed to speak at a Memorial Day uh, event at a national cemetery, and I was going to actually tell his story as part of speaking there. And, and I had reached back to them and gotten information, and then something happened. They changed how they were going to do it and changed speakers. I guess it wasn't important enough. But uh, anyway, th- this was my chance to get to tell that story. Good. Good. So let me ask you this. Let's um, – awesome – Stories, thanks, Kirk, and um, we're going to provide show notes and some details and some links to where you can learn more about uh, all three of these um, heroes um, in our show notes. But let's kind of shift gears a little bit and focus on. And Jeremy, we'll start with you. Where, what do you think? Just from hearing, we'll we'll go from Lieutenant Murphy, right? Knowing his story and knowing what he outside of the Mur, uh, the Murph, <laughs> the workout. I mean, actually, maybe you can use the workout. What do you think you can, knowing his story, how does that make you a better person? Well, I hate to take the word, but I'm going to use the word resilience. Because, I mean, I think everyone, everyone at this table knows that, like, let's just put it into the into the mindset of that workout. That workout is not a quick workout. It's not a 10-minute turn and burn workout. You, It's a grinder. And it's gonna take a while, and you're gonna you're gonna hurt, and it's you're you're gonna have to hurt to finish. And when you think about what he was going through, literally getting shot at, literally putting himself in the most the most open area, like basically there was no way you couldn't see him, and he did that. Not for himself, but did it for the guys that he was with. And then to turn around and still fight on mm-hmm. during all that. I mean, it shows a resilience that can't be measured. I think when you uh, when you do that exercise, the birth, you know, you have to, like you were saying, it's tough. You have to reach inside. I mean, like, today, I was done, man. Especially after I hurt my ankle, I was like, "I'm done, I'm done," and I kept seeing. I saw you guys continuing and got to thinking about, you know, what it meant. I was like, you know what? If I quit now, I'm a wimp. I need to pick it up. I need to go. And I wasn't going to say anything, right? If if you were going to quit, that's fine. Because I mean, you you hit your ankle pretty hard on that, and the fact that you did continue, and because. You're old, right? So you get hurt. You get hurt. <laughs> he might have broke his bones. He, he could have <laughs> broke his back just now. But the fact that you did continue, I mean, nobody wants to mess up their ankle. Mm. Joints are horrible. Yeah, I think they're made up, right? <laughs> but when you when you roll an ankle or you mess up a joint, I mean, I started a program a few weeks ago, and then I ended it about a week later, right? Because I I kept hurting myself. But the fact these workouts like this morning where you just you push yourself you push you push through it. Yep. You know, and it wasn't fun, but we got through it. Yep. That was it was good. It was a good workout and I was surprised. I even told you. I was like, I did 200 push-ups without having to drop to my knees. Yeah. What? I didn't even think I could do that's that. That's a lot of push-ups. Yeah. Mhm. But I mean, like that's what I'm saying when you when you think about what what he did, what he went through and just and then you're just putting it into the mindset of a workout. You can put that into the mindset of anything. Yep. But if we just call it the workout, I mean, like you said, you could have quit. Kirk, you could have quit. You didn't. Mm-hmm. But you put yourself in a different mindset f- to finish it. And that's kind of what I said. And, and it's, like I said, I didn't want to take the word, but the resilience of that of that man in that time, if he can do that, that kind of thing in that kind of situation, 
what's stopping you from putting in that extra push-up? What's stopping you from running that extra mile? What's stopping you from trying to promote yourself at work? Yeah, any what's, any situation. Exactly. You can put that resilience in any situation. It's Like I said, it's unmeasurable what he went and what he did. So you can, if he can do that, why can't you do what you want to? Yeah, and I, I feel like some of us are, are failing our kids these days and not helping not helping to build their resilience. Um, I, I put myself, you know, I think that there's times that I could do a better job of building that resilient mindset with my kids. You know, we tend to want to give them what they need and what they but make things better than what you, how you had it and what you got. And sometimes, you know, Sean, you've messed with me about it. Like, oh, yeah, I knew you was going to break down daddy and, and get that for them and stuff. So, but, uh, you know, we love our kids, but I think this really kind of ties back to, you know, we really do need to help our new generations to, to be resilient. I see things that my parents do, my family members do that, you know, older generation. I'm like, man, how are you doing? I didn't even want to get off my couch to go mow today. And you were outside planting flowers and your back is completely out. Like, what are you doing? Well, it need to be done. I'd have been on my couch, yeah. you know, so. Well, it's, it's mindset. Yeah. It, it's mindset. I'm, re- I'm reading a book now, and I won't go too much into detail, but I couldn't put it down. I think I, I've read six chapters today, and what I've learned, it, it, it's truly, it's 100% mindset, right? And, and I listened to another podcast the other day of a super smart dude who's got like seven companies. He's from India and he's only been here for his neighbor is Bill Gates, right? And oh, that's gotta suck. Yeah, and I mean he's one. He's a billionaire, and but how he speaks with passion and charisma, and I mean by the end of the podcast, I'm like, dude, you want my money? I'll invest in whatever you're doing. But he talks about how your gut is essentially your brain. Right, because your gut, what your brain doesn't tell you that you're hungry. I mean, it, it communicates that you're hungry, but your your gut, right? And a lot of the times we don't follow our gut. Mm-mm. We don't follow our gut because we're lazy or we're tired, or I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll put it off. Hey, yeah. but side note, they say that uh, procrastinators are the most creative. Well, I must be really creative. Yeah, <laughs> it's true because you have more time to think about it. Yeah. That's why Sandra is really creative. But anyway, I, I think, so back to being resilient and, and adversity, we just have to follow our gut sometimes, and our gut is actually telling us to do the hard thing. Mm-hmm. But our brain is saying, no, be comfortable. Yeah. No. Oh, don't spend that money. Don't spend oh, it. No, it's Like not tonight, gonna I'm going to spend some money on some really cool stuff, and my brain's going to say no, but my gut is saying I should do it to make the show better. I'm more it, worried what Sandra's going to say. No, no, she, uh, you know. <laughs> She loves me. <laughs> Thank Hi, goodness. I love you, Sam. <laughs> oh, so so when yeah. go, looking back, looking at the uh, Colonel or sorry, Captain Dixon story. I mean, anything within that story. What do you think is the biggest takeaway for that? What do you What do you take away from? So I, I said it, explaining who he was and what he does. Um, he was faced with something that none of us will ever encounter, right? Mm-hmm. Racism is still a true problem. Oh, yeah. Yep. It's, it's an issue that just, I just, I don't understand. Honestly, I don't understand it. I, I have, mean, I have problems understanding how somebody can be so ignorant to to think that way and to, to act that way. But but I also believe it goes both ways. One hundred, it, it, it actually goes multiple, multiple ways. Right? It doesn't matter white or black. It matters. And without going down that road, it matters all Faucets of, did I say it right? Faucets. Yeah, yeah. I said it right. Yeah, yeah. I think it doesn't matter, right, your skin color. But what what I believe what, that we can all learn from Captain Dixon is he was representing a country that hated him because of his color. Hated him. I mean, hated him. He couldn't drink out of a water fountain because he was the wrong color. Right. Yeah. But yet, he put himself there. He saw. I think. I think he is along with the other Tuskegee Airmen. They could see what America could be. And no, no. Be. He saw what America will be. Yeah. I think he saw past where we are now. Yeah. You and, have to. Yeah. You have to. Um. I. I. 
like I said, I have I have a really hard time in seeing it happen now. Like I have friends that have posted uh, some videos and some things that have happened that were, I mean, unless there is just something completely hidden in the video or or whatever, there was some straight up hatred, racism, bigotry going on, and it just that irritates me. Irritates me to the core. I remember growing up, and I don't know if this guy still. I don't, Anderson was his last Arnold Anderson, all right. African American guy, but we were kids, and we used to play this game called quicksand. Mm-hmm. And I, and I can't just, the the it was like a um, a tube that you could crawl through, but it was elevated off the ground, right? And we would act like one was falling off the tube, but the other guy would say like we would it was quick. I don't know, we were kids, right? It's quicksand, right? So, but we would take turns saving each other mm-hmm. from the quicksand. The quicksand was the ground. But we would take turns. Like, oh, I'm falling. You know, I'm falling. And he'd grab me. And then, oh, I'm falling. And then I'd grab him. And we would do this over and over and over and over. But I still remember, I still re- remember, I know it was a game, right? But mm-hmm. let's look really deep into that game where I was white, he was black, but we didn't care. No. Kids don't care. They don't care. Where do they learn? They learn that stuff. And I know now we're kind of making a left turn here, but kids it, learn this. It ties this. back to what you were saying, though. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, where, where do people learn this stuff? And so back to, to Captain, he he was over there in a in Nazi territory where it was super racist. Mm-hmm. In Nazi territory, he was probably fighting against not just an enemy, um, a foreign enemy, the Nazis, but he was also probably fighting the racism that he encountered being in the unit that he was in. Mm-hmm. The racism that he would have, he was already in his head anticipating that he was going to receive when he got home. Yeah. So there's a lot, without knowing him, without knowing his story, I mean, we know a little bit of his story, but really knowing who he was as an individual, um, there's a lot we can learn from him and his family and his sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, I just wish sometimes America wake wake the heck up. Yeah. Like wake up, dudes. Uh, There's so many awesome people that we're missing out on because we get caught up in what's in front of us. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. And and we you see some of it. You hear some. You know, I can't say growing up that I never heard anything racist or you know being that being from the South. Um, I think it was very commonplace. But um, thank God that not only me, but most everybody I know has, we've grown beyond that. Besides that, you know, we, we, we haven't brought that with us. We didn't, it wasn't something that latched onto us. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, something that reminded me, <clears throat> this was back in 2007, 2008. Our daughter was five, five years old and she was going to school and she was like, daddy, I have a boyfriend. I was like, really? Tell me about it. He's like, well, he's just really sweet, and he's skinny, and, you know, giving me all the descriptors, right? Tell me his name, all that stuff. Well, we show up for a presentation at their school, and it turns out this kid's mom worked with me uh, in the same area I worked, and he was also African-American, which is fine. But the one thing my daughter never said when she was explaining him was skin color, was any of that. Where did they learn that? They learned it from us because we use it as descriptors. We don't necessarily do it as, as racist reasons or anything. But it really got me to thinking, like, wow. You know, as kids, they don't see color. They don't see, I mean, that's their friend, their boyfriend, whatever. It's the fact that they're learning that somewhere, and it really just burns and it hurts. You want to know where is it coming from? How are they getting that? Um, you know, I'm blessed my kids are... I, I, I like to say I don't think they see skin color, you know, but you don't know until they become adults and, and see how they, they're going to act or maybe experiences have, have made them think differently than what they are now. Well, it just goes to show you that no matter your skin color and no matter the love that you have for your country, there's, there's, some, there's something that goes on in someone's head that says, I don't care, I have, I have a duty to protect my nation, to protect my family. And I think that's what all these guys have in common. 
in any any person that goes downrange and puts themselves in front of those situations, that's what they all hold together. I bet you they're all up in heaven together, looking down on us. Like cheers, like che- cheers in yeah. us, and yeah. and hopefully the the grill doesn't catch on fire and whatever, Jeremy. Jeremy, yeah. What <laughs> happened to your grill, man? It nothing. It's fine. It's fine now. It was it was on fire for a little bit. Five minutes. Yeah. Just a little grease fire. Thought we were going to die. It's not what the fire department told me. I mean, I was fine. <laughs> the majority of y'all were not. Oh, I was fine. I didn't get burnt. Oh, I didn't get burnt. The food was delicious. I mean, the burnt sausage still tastes fine to me. You're the only one eating it. I, I mean, I burnt it, so. Is that why you're tired? Yeah, that's, that's why. <laughs> and I'm sitting over here going, well, I wasn't even there, so hope y'all had fun. It's your choice. Oh, you were, you were at a full-day pool party. I was. I was tired by the time I got home. That son was... Had beat me down, so a uh, little Not bit of sunburn, son, little son. little bit of sunburn on the the chestal areas. So chestals, uh, yeah, I hadn't had my <laughs> hadn't had my shirt off in a while. So, um, thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Tell me about it. Yeah, well, chestals. Hey, uh, real quick before we close, Jeremy, and let's we'll go around. Um, did you want? Oh, Danny's thing. Did we? Did did y'all want? Did we want to talk about lessons learned from from Danny's? Danjo Wilson, the one private. Danjo, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we can. I don't even know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah we're, no, we were talking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, lessons learned. I asked you earlier. I'm yeah. like, what did you learn? They didn't ask me. I don't even know what's going on. I'm just listening. What, what are we no, talking asked, about? Yeah, lessons learned. Yeah, things that he taught me. Yeah, right. but I think that situation as a whole um, just shows that that family, um, family means the world to, to, to us. That's our social network. Right. And, um, luckily he was able to come home to his family, but he was never, I don't think he ever came back a hundred percent. He came back a different man than, than he left, uh, as a 21, 22 year old, uh, going into, to battle. And, um, the, you know, he fought those, those demons, PTSD, whatever it might be, whatever they wanted to call it. And, and what they said it was at the time. Um, but that's something he fought with. He didn't sleep. Very, very rarely did he sleep, um, but he still, he still made things, he still did things, and he was still active, and he was still a very supportive person in the community, um, did a lot of things, but what, you know, Vietnam did take something from his family, you know, and took something from him, and I think that's the, the case with a lot of our heroes, whether they come back injured uh, or, or not at all, they're going to come back with, with some things that it's going to ha- take some patience on, on the part of the family. To, to be there to support them. So um, I think that that's a big lesson learned as well. I don't think we always think about what's coming back, the ones that do survive, what what is coming back with them. Well, what's one word that you can describe that you will you can learn from him? Just one word. Well, like I said earlier, resilient. Re- resilience. Yeah. I that's, think that's, that's what I took from him. Yeah. It was the same, yeah. but uh, it's, it's kind of – and I mean – that you can look at these three different individuals in three different eras and say without a doubt that these guys had more resilience than any man I've met. Like there's there's just there's crazy things that they did, things that they went through. Like he could have got he should have just had his leg amputated. Just yeah. wouldn't do it. No. But he wouldn't have been as he couldn't have done the things he did in his life without exactly. Him. I mean, he was getting constantly berated by people that hated him, but he still went and served his country. Like, there's no resilience that can measure that. Michael Murphy putting himself in that that situation, just to knowing that he probably wasn't going to walk away from that, just so he could save those other three. It's a resilience that's unmeasurable. Well, and the fact he left college probably could have done anything in his life he wanted to do, yet he decided to serve his country in a way that very likely he may not come home from. Absolutely. And he made that decision. And, Jeremy, you bring up a very awesome point that I didn't even think about. These three individuals were were all in three different, very, three different wars that were very different from a political perspective to what was going on in the world between, you know, what— how the way of life was, but yet they still put themselves in adversity. They still, I think their process was very, very similar. And I can't speak for 
I can't speak for them. So this is Sean Christian's opinion. I, I really think their approach to sacrificing their own life for their country and for the greater good was probably pretty similar. Like they knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. all three of them. Man, I didn't even think about that. That's a good point. Yeah. I think it's important for everybody out there. I mean, do I put the challenge out, uh, and I think we all put the challenge out that think about in the next couple of days who is someone that either you've lost within your family, you know, or do some research and find someone that that has given the ultimate sacrifice. Do just a little bit of research on the individual. Read a little bit about it, and, and feel free to post it on our our Facebook page, uh, the message, you know, look, the name and, and maybe a little information. Um, I think it's important that we all do that as Americans. It's Memorial Day. Let's memorialize these people, um, not just by saying, hey, happy Memorial Day. Let's let's find that one person and say, hey, you know what? This is the one person I'm going to talk about. This is the one person I want to share. Agreed. Yeah. Before we before we close, um, Jeremy, what is what is and try to keep it. Uh, including myself, let's keep it really short. Um, what does Memorial Day mean to you personally? Uh, personally, I mean, majority of my family, a lot of my family members were in the military. No one gave the ultimate sacrifice, but they all came home. But it's to me, it's a day that I'm very thankful to be in the country I'm in because of type of people it makes there's these three men that we talked about today the countless men and women that are serving still and that have served before and the ones that have given their ultimate sacrifice it's it's a great country that we have that we have those kind of people living in here so it's a very thankful day for me kirk what about you uh i think it goes back to the challenge i put out uh Somebody else I know actually put that challenge out a few days and a few days ago, and that really got me thinking. Like, who would I memorialize? Who would I talk about? And that's how uh, we kind of came up with the idea for today for the podcast. And I think it's just important to not forget those people that did make that sacrifice. Uh, we have a lot of vitriol in our country uh, over political reasons and, and political figures and whatever it might be, but in the end. We're not going to get through anything without our without each other. We're going to have to be there for each other. We're going to have to understand that, yes, we have differences, but you know what? People gave their lives to allow us to have those different opinions. Don't hate on those who, who don't think exactly like you do. And that's hard. There's a lot of maturity there. It's hard to do that. Oh, yeah. It's okay to disagree. I mean... We disagree all the we time. We disagree all the time, but that doesn't mean you have to be ugly to the person. And I think that comes with wisdom. It comes with character, a lot of character, and a lot of humility. Uh, what today means to me, and, you know, my grandfather served in the Air Force, and he's passed. My dad was in the Army. Uh, my cousin's in the Air Force. I've got a lot of family that served. Um, thank goodness no one in my family was lost due to combat. Um my grandfather, I lost him in a, in a different way, but it was not, it was an unfortunate way. But I remember him, I got a photo of me and him um, on my fridge, and I remember going, and, and this is something that I'll carry, and I'll put my soapbox out there for a second. He, he would all, I'll tell my mom, I'm like, I'm going, we're going to granddad's, like, I don't want to talk about military, right? He would always want to tell his war stories, right? Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm, and I'm active duty, I was like, I don't want to talk about it what I would do now to have those stories with him. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what I would say Memorial day for me is to cherish the moments you have. We're never going to understand the Murphy's, the Dixon's, the what's his last Wilson's. name? The Wilson's. We're never going to understand what was going through their head. All we can do is remember them and support them. Uh, yep. and, and just, and just know, you know what, at that time, at that, that specific time, they made the right decision, whatever it was. Whether I disagree or agree with them, at that time, that was the best decision that they could make for their family and for their country. Amen. So, totally. Agree. 
I know it's a it's, it's a deep man. It's a deep conversation. Yeah, we got yeah, deep we today. Got a little deep. Woo. Yeah, but this is good. This, this is good. good. Sometimes you just gotta you gotta vent. It, it was almost like our soapbox today. It was great. I love soapboxes. You really do. You probably that Did my you probably skip? should stand on one if we were standing, so that way we're all kind of even anyway. That's why we're sitting. I think Kurt just said I was short. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did. In a roundabout way. All right, now I'm short and round. <laughs> about. That's weird. About. It's not nice. It's you were doing round, so good, Kurt. About. It was so. It was so close. We were so close. <laughs> hey, thank y'all so much for tuning in. This is thank a, y'all for joining us. Great, great day. Uh, celebrate with your families. Remember those who we've lost. And have a great week. And be safe. Have a great Memorial Day. Thanks for joining. See you next time.